welcome to the Truth Be Told podcast. I am Marta Brummel, and by trade and training, I am a certified life coach with a psychology degree from the University of Notre Dame and a master's in clinical social work from the University of Michigan. I'm the mother of four children. I'm married to Craig Brummel, my favorite human, and I am the CEO of a private life coaching practice for young adults and parents. So the whole idea behind this podcast and these conversations is to learn how to navigate this human journey from the inside out by building a life skill set that allows each one of us to engage with this grand life adventure from a place of health, wellness, and confidence, and to create something beautiful by weaving in meaning and purpose along the way. I'm so glad you're here. Hello and welcome to episode number 26, Shame and its Antidote Empathy. So I just got off a most poignant phone call with a client and a father, and I thought, how apropos that I am doing this episode on shame, and in our call, we really touched, I think, very deeply on what shame, how shame can manifest if we're not careful in our lives, and then how best to maneuver it and soften it and name it and then move through it and find ways of being able to lift our heads and our hearts and you know move forward in this life, this human journey that we're all on. And this particular situation is one where the father was sharing that one of his children has shared that there's some gender dysphoria going on. It has been going on for a very long time for this individual. And because of that and the age that this individual is at this point would like to explore further options and the, you know, potential for hormone treatment along with then, you know, even that next step of surgeries and, you know, just the, the, the things along the lines of how to dress, what that looks like, how to tell family, how to, you know, just tiptoeing into something that in general in our society can carry with it a heavy dose of shame if we're not careful. And so the parallel journey of the father and the family, really, and then this young individual is such that I just felt like I could see on both sides how shame could really take root, and yet also the beauty of moving through this as a collective and also individual, and being able to to name all of this and experience it and feel it and talk about the fear and the the grief and the the unknown and the shame that comes with this kind of package deal. And also recognizing that when we come from love and we come from curiosity and we come from acceptance, if we can move to that, right, and we can have that that experience of empathy as well in the process, that it just softens everything. And so our call, as I said, was very poignant. And here I am doing an episode on shame. And I just want to give a shout out to my client who I think is just a really good and um, beautiful human and all of them, the, the family, is a, a beautiful crew of individuals. And so my heart and my, you know, my, 
my heart is with them. And I, I've seen so much growth in such short order and, um, just feel like there's, there's goodness in the struggle here. So with that, I want to talk about shame and how it's been called the most human of emotions. And yet it is the emotion that we talk least about. And I think, therefore, it's probably the one that we least understand. Now, Brene Brown's definition of shame is an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. So suffice to say, it's an emotion that affects all of us and profoundly shapes the way we interact in the world. Empathy, sweet empathy, shame's beautiful antidote, right, is the ability to sense other people's emotions, coupled with the ability to imagine what someone else might be thinking or feeling, and being able to put ourselves in someone else's shoes and say, I hear you, I see you, and sometimes you might even say, me too, right? So in my coaching work, shame is at the heart of many of my clients' struggles, especially the one I just shared with you right? It's the fear that if people saw what was really going on inside of us, we would not be worthy of love or belonging. And in that particular situation that I shared, as a parent, you can imagine the various emotions, the various beliefs, the various thoughts that come up for a parent when a child is going through this process, right? First of all, when the child first introduces the process, and then the the process that unfolds within the process, right? And the shame for the individual who's kind of experienced this gender, experiencing this gender dysphoria, the father, the parent, the parents involved here. And, you know, the greatest desire we have as parents is we want our children to be safe. We want them to be loved and seen and accepted in this world and to belong. We all want that. And, you know, there's this very interesting and intricate dance that takes place. And the more we can kind of get clear on our own stuff with that, our own baggage, the more I think we can walk together without reacting to one another and learn as we go and be open to the unfolding. So as I said, shame is at the heart of many of my clients' struggles. And it's the fear as I said, that if people saw what was really going on inside of us or what was really, you know, at play within our family, we would not be worthy of love or belonging. We would be rejected or looked at or seen or perceived as something other than what we, I think, all desire, which is to be okay. But this is a lie, my friends, because when we believe this to be true, what do we do? We shrink. We cover. We stay small. We pretend, we deflect, and we aren't able to shine in the way that we would if we knew our worthiness was absolutely and 100% inherent. The true teaching of this inside out work that I do is self-acceptance and self-compassion. And I hope that this message is coming through loud and clear in this podcast, in every episode that I do. Because know that when we have self-acceptance and self-compassion, pretty much all things are possible. And we can share that 
acceptance and compassion with others, when we have that for ourselves, oh my gosh, it opens up a whole new world because then we're able to pass that and loan that to others, right? Share that with others. Empathy is a lovely byproduct of all of this. And when we have empathy, shame doesn't stand a chance. So in my coaching work and in the world at large, we live in a society and in families where trauma, family dynamics, addiction, and emotions have been completely ignored, denied, or kept silent. And often this is not for any other reason than the path forward is unknown and unclear. So to stay in what is known, although very likely perpetuating generational patterns in those that are not so healthy, right? That still is the safer, more familiar option to our brain. But the painful consequences of this play out daily in many of our lives. Being conscious of and understanding our own behaviors and the behaviors of those around us quite literally changes how we experience life but it requires us to lift our heads, get out of autopilot, right? Out of automatic pilot and be able to be conscious and present in the moment and to just see things, notice things differently than being in this mode of head down and just reacting as we go. Few of us know we who we actually are, right? Few of us are living our authentic lives. And frankly, I'm still trying to figure that out for myself. And I think my entire family, we're all just on this path of figuring these things out. But the more we allow for ourselves to figure that out, the more we're willing and able to allow the people we love to do the same thing and not have agendas and manuals and all the things that we think they need to be in order to be okay. Remember, we all want to be okay, right? What does that look like? different for each and every one of us. So the best part of getting older is the wisdom that we gain and the willingness to venture into the unknown because it actually brings us back to ourselves. So I think there's so much freedom in this, but it's also a little bit terrifying. Okay, so for my clients, a big part of our work is helping each individual live more authentically. This is a lifelong process. We all know this to be true. It's not a linear path, right? It's, it's kind of the winding road. And it starts, though, with creating consciousness, conscious awareness, and making the empowered choice to return to the truth of who we are. And this doesn't come in the form of our accomplishments, our GPAs, our performances on the field, right, or on the court, our bank accounts, none of that. In fact, in order to do this, we must meet ourselves in all of our messiness, in all of our glory, and, and kind of creating that space to meet all of us, which means all parts of ourselves. And many of us hide from certain parts of ourselves because of shame. This, of course, can be a scary and uncomfortable process, where we see the parts of ourselves that we hide from, right? But it's just good to know that as we do this, as we meet ourselves, the ego has the tendency to push back and rebel. Just know that's normal. Nothing has gone wrong. It goes about judging and self-shaming and all the protective mechanisms that keep us cycling in the same patterns. 
the patterns that are familiar and efficient, right? But very not, very likely not serving us. So this is what our mind does. It attempts to keep us in our familiar, to stay safe and avoid pain and seek out pleasure. That's the brain's MO. The truth beyond the ego, though, is that you're exactly where you need to be. Always. Doing the best you can with the current level of awareness you have. That is what we are called to do. This is true for each and every one of us. The judgment and the critical voice. And Jen Pasteloff, I don't know if any of you are familiar with her. She's an author and pretty damn funny. She calls it our inner asshole. And it's just this manifestation of our past, this inner dialogue, right? Often it's the internalized voice we heard subconsciously as children from our parents, our caretakers, our coaches, our teachers, our mentors, our friends, whatever it may be, all of whom were probably coming from good intentions, but also most of them, if not all, were coming from an unconscious place, right? So what's that internalized voice often saying? Often it's that we should be doing better or that we are wrong or weak for slipping back into old patterns. Or this is classic shame talking. Who do we think we are, right? Or we will never be good enough. We will never measure up. When we have these internal tapes playing over and over, it gets us back in our place of staying safe and small. It keeps us, it puts us back in our, our little box, so much of this work, you guys, is witnessing ourselves with non-judgment and curiosity and compassion, learning to find safety and peace in the present moment, to breathe, to delight in the moments with family, with loved ones, with a dinner and enjoying dinner with our loved ones, right? To enjoy a new book, to laugh with friends, maybe on FaceTime, to binge watch a new show while being you know, nice and cozy in a blanket, right? With, with maybe your, your daughter, your son, your best friend, your partner. To observe all of our patterns of behavior like we'd observe a small child in need of more love and patience. This is what we are called to do. Observe all of our patterns of behavior, right? And observe it from this place, this vantage point, like we'd observe a small child in need of more love and patience. That inner child, for each one of us, craves our compassion, our acceptance, our love, and our, our willingness to see all of it. It longs to be safe, to be okay, to be whole, to be enough, to be worthy. Each and every one of us desires this. So when we believe that we need to earn our worthiness, that we're not enough, and that we are bad and therefore defective, guess what we experience? A nice, healthy dose of shame. We've all got it, right? Yet it's taboo. No one wants to talk about it. But my friends, listen. The less we talk about it, the more power we give it. So like everything else on this podcast, I want to lift the veil on shame so that we name it and talk about it to both normalize and neutralize it. We can change our relationship with it. And in the process, we can cultivate more self-acceptance and self-compassion. 
Who doesn't love that, right? Who's in? I think each and every one of you, I hope, <laughs> raising your hands. So I tell my clients that shame lives and thrives in the dark. So we need to bring it into the light, right? We need to bring it out of our beings, out of our heads, out of our hearts, out of our bodies, and bring it into the light by talking about it and naming it. And guess what that does? It loses its edge. It loses its, you know, overwhelming power. And by doing so, it allows us to breathe a little bit easier and to have that inner knowing that we are okay. We are safe. We are enough, always and forever. So when we kind of bring that healing power of light on our feelings of shame, this is like balm for our soul. It truly is. Shame literally affects the way that we live, love, and engage in relationships. And it's a major player on this human journey. So all the more reason we want to get to know it, we want to name it, and we want to bring light to it. So let's dig a little deeper into what it is and how we can change our relationship with it so that it is no longer controlling us. And although I can say we can't completely ameliorate shame, right? Shame is just part of the bargain. It's part of the human package. There's, it's like anxiety, right? We'd all love to just shirk anxiety, but at the same time, we recognize it's part of our being human. It's learning how we can soften it and temper it and engage with it differently. And with shame, empathy is what really is able to neutralize and, I think, shift so much of our experience of shame. So I'll share some of our thought patterns around shame and some ways we can shift our thinking around it, along with sharing some client examples of shame, okay? And then we'll discuss how to, you know, douse our shame by pouring empathy all over it, okay? All right. So when we are feeling ashamed, we blame ourselves and we often, often withdraw. We hide, or even sometimes we lash out. And shame creates a lot of conflict and distress, both within ourselves and with other people. But it's impossible to feel shame about something that everyone knows about, right? And doesn't care about. Because why? Shame is caused by our predictions about the judgment of others. And of course, those are really our judgments of ourselves that we are projecting. Shame is not caused by any particular action that we've taken or any experience we've had. Shame is caused by our thoughts about ourselves. And generally, these are thoughts about our own unworthiness, our weakness, or our potential not good enoughness. So as we've discussed in previous episodes, our tribal nature and adherence to social norms was essential for survival for our earliest ancestors. It was vital for our survival. And those norms required cooperation at that time. But today, it's a different ballgame, right? We don't need to be shamed to conform. We have choice and agency as to how we want to show up and take accountability for our actions. We have more freedom. Whether everyone in the tribe likes you no longer impacts your daily survival. Certainly emotionally is impactful, right? But that's something we can work with. 
This is, this is good news. Shame no longer serves us, you guys. But our primal brain, it didn't quite get that memo, right? So we still tend to feel shame when we have thoughts about not following social norms or not conforming and contorting to what is so societally acceptable or familially acceptable. So what's at play is the tribal dynamic again and perceiving that we are being seen by someone who doesn't value our worth, which then, of course, could impact our survival and how much everyone else cared about us, right? We still kind of fall back into that. But this, of course, explains why we can think of shame as a status-based emotion. It has to do with our perception of our status compared to other people and social norms. Negative thoughts about our status or our worth or our value are what produce the feeling of shame. So at its core, shame is a problem of self-worth and self-acceptance. And not surprisingly, it's very closely related to perfectionism. Yes, surprise, surprise, right? That good old perfectionism, for so many of my clients, it rears its head often when we're trying to figure out how to navigate this being human thing. It always feels like the solution, right? The answer to never being vulnerable, never feeling shame and staying safe, right? Staying ahead of the curve, not being considered an imposter, right? And making sure we're ahead of everyone else so that we're safe. Perfectionism, though, is the path so many of us take to combat shame. Yet if you've learned anything, it's that avoiding our humanness and not feeling our feelings is what gets us in trouble. So the irony of perfectionism is that when we hold ourselves to unrealistic standards, we feel a lot of shame. But when we accept ourselves and all our imperfections, all of our humanness, we don't feel ashamed, right? Maybe not too surprisingly as I kind of lay that out there. But when we believe we are unworthy, we carry shame, right? So shame is not an objective indication that you've done something wrong or that you are wrong, right? In fact, shame is entirely caused by our thoughts about ourselves. And some of us feel ashamed just for being ourselves, just for being who we are. We believe we are unworthy just for existing the way we do. And then some of us feel shame about specific actions we've taken or not taken, right? But either way, the path is the same. A belief that we're unworthy and unacceptable for taking that action. So it's important to know that it's not a belief that the action you took or didn't take was a mistake or a problem, okay? That's actually not what causes shame. Believing that something is a mistake or a problem does not cause shame. What causes shame is the belief that we are unworthy or unacceptable for the action or that mistake. It's the thought, who do you think you are? Get back in your place. Get your shit together. It's that flash of heat in our face and in our body when we misstep or expose ourselves to the outside world, right? It's that fear, oh my God. We've all felt it. And when it hits, 
all we want to do is cover up and crawl in a hole. So some more good news that I have for you is that we can think we made a mistake without feeling shame at all. We can make a colossal mistake and we can feel no shame because shame comes from a thought about ourselves. It comes from believing that we are weak or unworthy, you guys. We don't belong. Shame comes from a judgment about ourselves. It doesn't have anything to do with what actions we've taken or not or what has happened to us or not happened to us. It comes from a negative thought about ourselves and our worth. And the best news I have is that that is our work to shift and to change. So here are some shame examples from my sweet and awesome clients. And of course, I've changed some identifying information, okay? But each one of them has agreed to, to share their story. So my client Jada, who struggles with her weight and an eating disorder, She's constantly beating herself up, okay? And when she and I first started working together, it was very clear she needed to soften the edges, right? And in order to help her shift her patterns and create space for healing, she realized she needs to become more conscious and recognize what's at play and what's driving her behaviors in the first place. Because once she lifted her head and started to notice, that is when change took root for her because for so long she'd been reacting and avoiding and deflecting and by creating conscious awareness it stopped her in her tracks it was kind of like a pattern interrupter right it was creating a pause in her pattern and in those moments when she would normally turn to food or numb out with whatever it was that she had in her grasp at the at the time She's learned to feel her feelings, to take a pause, to go get a glass of water, to maybe go take a walk before she jumps into a certain behavior that before she wouldn't have even thought about. She just did, and it would be after the fact that her shame would be so heavy and strong. So for Jada, she's one who has been able to shift that dynamic and Shifting out of the mode of beating herself up and being more curious and more compassionate with herself. She's just noticed a huge difference just in that shift alone. Okay? Creating the pauses in her patterns have helped her kind of create more of a grounding practice. She's done more breathing work in the moment because that brings herself to the present moment. And this, of course, as I mentioned earlier, can be a pattern interrupter. It gets us embodied. It gets us out of our heads, out of our reactive mode, and more present and engaged in the moment. So every time we choose ourselves, we get to stop and recognize it and celebrate it. And Jada's doing that on a daily basis. She stops and recognizes when she creates a pattern interrupter. I choose me. This is what she says. And the more we choose ourselves, the better we get at it, and the less we betray ourselves. So, you know, kudos to dear Jada. She's rocking it. Another example of choosing ourselves is my client Maddie. And I received a text from her the other night, and she said, I said no last night after dinner, picked rest, and hanging out with my boyfriend, 
instead of going out. I feel amazing today. I had to remind myself last night that I was safe in my decision and everything will be okay. So glad I listened to myself instead of my anxiety. And sweet Maddie is someone who has struggled mightily with FOMO. She feels like she can't miss out because the fear of missing out is then this fear of not belonging, right? At the core. So this example is a beautiful illustration of how Maddie, she's gradually building her own self-trust. She listened to her own intuition and allowed that to guide her in her decision, which is a significant shift from making choices based on what the external world is doing or not doing or what we perceive it to be thinking, and then our actions follow suit, right? Instead, she's trusting her inner compass. And as she said, she felt amazing, right? Kind of awesome. So I was on a call with a mom of a young adult client of mine, and this mom has a job that is high-powered and super intense, consuming, and stressful. This mom is a badass, super, you know, just creative and incredible in her line of work. But this job she has, of course, as you can imagine, it's kind of true in in our, our world as it is, doesn't allow for a lot of quality time and being present with her family, much less herself, right? So her husband is home and holding down the fort. But the struggle and shame she feels on the regular about whether or not she should be doing what she's doing, it's, it's real. And it's classic as a woman, right? Because as women, we are exceptional at shaming ourselves because of societal and familial messaging and conditioning. And it's the age-old do it all, do it perfectly, put your children and your family first, and never let them see you struggle. It's a tape we have on repeat, right? This, of course, only creates a web of unattainable and conflicting and competing expectations of who we're supposed to be. So for this mom, we talk a lot about the trade-offs and the ways of showing up in the midst of the very full and demanding life that she's created. What does that look like? Where does she set boundaries? Where does she create more space? Where does she say no? Where does she say yes? right? Creating a relationship with herself and with her loved ones in the midst of this very full plate that she has is key. It doesn't need to be an either or. It can be an and. And helping her to dig deep within to see what she wants, what lights her up, what is best for her and the family is something we're assessing and playing around with. And while doing so, I'm also trying to model for her what it means to have empathy and compassion and softness around the edges. Because when we do that, you guys, it's a game changer. It creates so much more possibility and curiosity and innovation, right? We get creative. We start thinking about, well, if it's not this way, that doesn't mean it can't happen, right? But how do we get creative? How do we make this happen? And sometimes we're going to have to change. Sometimes we're going to have to shift some things. It just is. But it doesn't mean it's an either or. So Brene Brown's research on connection is vital in the discussion of empathy because connection is our ability to forge meaningful, authentic relationships with others. 
And connection is truly the essence of the human experience. It cultivates meaning and purpose for each and every one of us. So if you were to put connection on a continuum, empathy moves us towards deep and meaningful relationships, right? While the other side of the continuum sits shame, right? And shame, what does shame do? Doesn't create our deep and meaningful connections with others. In fact, it unravels our connection with others. Because why? We don't feel we belong. We don't want to show ourselves. We cover ourselves. When we cover ourselves, we lose connection. So if we want to understand what really fills our human spirit, we have to understand what anchors the continuum. The empathy on one side, the shame on the other. The knob, right, that controls the continuum is vulnerability. And it has the power to move us toward empathy which is being with others in their vulnerability, you guys. So now consider sliding the knob to shame. Vulnerability is at its worst. Because why? This is where we say that we can't see these pieces of me or another person because I fear it will cause disconnection. So how do we practice courage and empathy in a culture where we are so afraid of fitting in? where we're terrified to be rejected and not good enough. We all know belonging is so critically important. Back to my sweet friend, empathy. It fuels connection, my friends. It brings us to what we so desperately seek, which is belonging. A sense of being seen and known and saying, me too, I see you. It's about walking in another person's shoes and feeling what they're feeling and embracing them wholeheartedly by creating that safe and soft place to land. Exactly what we need to do for ourselves. And we can't do for others what we can't do for ourselves. So in order to grow in the practice of empathy, there are four attributes of empathy that I'd like to share as you cultivate more of this in your life. Okay, number one, perspective taking. Perspective taking refers to being willing and able to see and feel the world through the eyes of the other, walking in another's shoes. And this, my friends, requires putting aside our own stuff, our own baggage, our own perspectacles, right? And really just listening to what they're going through and being present and holding space. Number two, staying out of judgment. Judgment is kind of the death knell, right? Judgment of another person's pain or challenge it discounts the experience for that person. And it's often an attempt to protect ourselves from the pain that they are feeling. So interesting, so fascinating. Staying out of judgment means being open to what they're feeling and refraining from comments that invalidate their experience or make them feel wrong, such as, I don't know why you're getting so upset about this, right? Or at least you, dot, 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 or you're overreacting. It's not that big of a deal. I think we can all relate to this, right? Okay, number three, recognize emotions. Recognizing the emotion means looking within yourself and remembering what it's like to have the feeling the other person is feeling. 
When someone else is feeling shame, we recognize it. We know it. We can name it, right? It's a willingness to acknowledge fully what they're feeling and naming it. It sounds like you're feeling rejected. And I felt that too. You could also say it's scary and it sucks. And you could say, I've got you. You're okay. You're safe. All right, number four, communication. This is the final attribute of empathy that I think is super important. And communicate that you understand where they are at and then validate what their feeling and experience is. So maybe it's this. I'm so sorry you're hurting. I've been there and it's no fun. Or it sounds like you're in a dark place. Tell me more. Empathy, my friends, is a skill that we can train and with practice, it can strengthen more and more like a muscle. In order to build a muscle, what do we need to do? We need to be consistent and do deliberate practice, right? When we give others empathy, we allow them to feel, to be fully heard and accepted and free. When we show up and tell the truth about what we've done and not done, and about our thoughts and feelings, our inner experience, we don't feel as much shame. And why? Because we hear and see that other people have had the same experience. And most importantly, my friends, we are sort of owning the authenticity of our own experience and just being honest about what's happening in our minds and in our bodies and in our hearts. We experience this incredible solidarity instead of isolation, which shame breeds isolation. Isolation breeds shame. <laughs> so we often experience acceptance instead of the judgment that we fear when we're willing and able to show ourselves. When we keep our shame to ourselves, we perpetuate the vicious cycle. When we share our shame with other people, we're sending a message to our own brain, which is what? This is what matters. We will not be held hostage and we don't have anything of which to be ashamed. Ever. Find that safe person. Find that safe haven so that you can bring into the light whatever it is that's got its hold on you. Okay? The next time you feel ashamed and you're worried about what other people think of you, I want you to ask yourself these questions. What are you thinking of you? What are the ways you're finding yourself unworthy? What are the ways you're judging yourself? And how is that shame really serving you? What could you do to cultivate some compassion, to practice some exposure, and to release some of that shame? Because remember, self-confidence is based on self-acceptance, and self-acceptance, my friends, is the ability to feel empathy, and empathy is the antidote to shame. Self-confidence is based on self-acceptance, and self-acceptance, the ability to feel empathy, is the antidote to shame. All right, that's all I got for you guys this week. I send my love always and forever, and I look forward to seeing you all next week. So until then, blue skies and big love from Colorado. Take care. Having a life coach can sweeten the often messy and hard and awesome journey of being human. Do you have a life coach? And if not, 
I would be so privileged to be your coach. I have a private coaching practice for individuals and families where we work on getting to the heart of your struggles and paving a path forward that helps you create a life that you truly love. When you're prepared to take what you're learning on this podcast and implement the tools and techniques so that you experience profound and lasting results, then contact me at martabrummel.com and we can hit the ground running. I truly cannot wait to work with you.